So I'd like this morning to uh, explore the theme of practicing with uh, thoughts and emotions. And this morning I'm thinking of focusing especially on working with uh, cultivating mindfulness of thoughts and emotions. And next week, expanded some to talk about not just being mindful, but actively working and intervening, particularly with challenging thoughts and emotions. So they'll, they'll be, in a way, complementary and form uh, a set. So what I'd like to do is to say some first about the quality of mindfulness and why we do this, and then give a particular practice that can be very, very helpful for working with thoughts and emotions. And and I think by giving an example from my own experience of working with some challenging emotions um, in the context of practice. And I'll give, I'll give some sustained attention to a uh, retreat that I did a while ago in which I was angry for 10 days in a row for 18 hours a day. <laughs> and lived to be here <laughs> and learned a lot from it. So that's, that's what I want to explore. So particularly focusing on mindfulness of thoughts and emotions. Uh, but before going there, I'd like us to each uh, do an inner reflection. And so if you can, if you want to close your eyes and reflect on on this question. What states of mind or heart, that is, what thoughts or emotions, are particularly challenging for you to be mindful of? So what thoughts and emotions, and and you might just uh, actually just name one or two, what is particularly challenging for you to be mindful of? It might be something that when it comes, it just sneaks up on you and takes you away, and mindfulness goes out the window. Could be anger, could be sadness, could be something like that, could be joy. What, what thoughts or thought patterns or emotions are particularly challenging for you, and really focusing on one or two? could just uh, really say, uh, just name some emotions very, very briefly. What, what are some that are challenging for, for you? Just to name one, maybe, each, each, a few people. Fear. Fear. Okay. Please. A planning is not exactly an emotion. But it's a, a pattern of thoughts, yeah. yeah. Okay, the, planning, the planning just sort of takes you over sometimes, yeah, as it does many of us. Depression. Depression. Okay. Uh, Confidence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Righteous indignation. Righteous indignation, hurt feelings, mm-hmm. anger, anger. Mm-hmm. greed, resentment, resentment. Stress. Stress. stress, which can can be a mix of a lot of things. Yeah, attachment. yeah. Attachment. Ecstasy. Ecstasy. Powerlessness. Powerlessness. Okay. Maybe that's <laughs> that's at a morning's worth to work with. <laughs> so, um, so what I'd like to invite you to do is, as I um, explore this, and I'm going to leave a fair amount of time for interaction. Um, as I explore this, you might consider that challenging state, and. Um, really uh, ask yourself how what we're talking about might 
actually connect with that, with that state of mind or heart and how, uh, and how it might inform your own situation. It's as it were, you have, um, we each have a case study and we can apply the methods, as it were, to that case study. So, f- so first, some, some general reflections that, again, it's really uh, to continue with what we were talking about before the talk. Um, in a way, what we do here is that we create a special, quiet, safe, protected, relatively safe, protected environment, kind of like a laboratory, in which we can really, uh, using mindfulness especially, study our own bodies and minds and hearts. And the reason that we do that is not so much that we will just continually go out into the world and just sit quietly and be a quiet person at, you know, birthday parties or meetings and just sit in, out all the time or go through, you know, walk through the streets of Marin or Berkeley or something, just, you know, doing walking meditation and being quiet and kind of a beneficent presence on the earth. But kind of quiet. <laughs> it's, really, it's really that we're cultivating certain abilities, that we're cultivating uh, in this quiet time, we're simplifying our experience so that we can really develop more awareness or presence. And, and in, in turn, that o- tends to open the heart and tends to actually uh, free up the body as well. And in doing that, we develop in certain abilities. We develop in mindfulness, we develop in greater wisdom and clarity of just noticing how uh, my mind works and hence other people's minds work because in a way when we study ourselves in meditation we're using ourselves sort of a personal example as a way both to know about our own personal patterns but also very much to know of the more universal qualities of the mind and heart and body really of human nature it's like that's we're we're doing this this in-depth study not just of uh, ourselves personally, but also of, in a sense, of humanity and consciousness. And we develop the qualities of mindfulness, we have greater understanding, and then we, almost all of us, are interested in bringing this out and making those qualities uh, operative, the qualities of awareness and wisdom and compassion operative in our work, in our relationships, in our endeavors, whatever they are, whether they're uh, parenting or uh, helping others in the you know through being in the medical field or being a teacher or being an activist or trying to enact environmental legislation or whatever those qualities are really crucial in that uh, cauldron as it were of daily life and our, our ordinary activities so that's why we're doing this we're creating this protected environment and in that context one of the most fundamental of the qualities is this quality of mindfulness, this ability to be present. And that's primarily what I'll explore today. And mindfulness is this typically more receptive quality. It can have active dimensions, but it's more this receptive quality to be present with experience in a way that has a number of different qualities. It has a certain kind of directness. We learn better to be with experience and to know the difference between a more direct experience, let's say, of the breath or of anger, and be able to know what that more direct experience is as compared to our interpretations and stories. And it's not that interpretations and stories are not important. They can be quite, but it's very important to know the difference between the more direct experience of um, thoughts, emotions, the body, and what kind of thoughts we have about those experiences. So a lot of mindfulness is developing this ability to really be present with experience in a more direct way. It also is to be present with experience in a more uh, non-judgmental and non-reactive way, that we try to let experience be what it is. And as we do the practice, there, there develops more of a faith that we don't have to control experience so much, that we can really explore and come to more and more trust that just this exploration of um, experience, especially guided and especially in the context of the community, can itself have uh, 
a direction towards healing and self-knowledge and uh, an opening. Just that process of exploring, even if it's to explore something difficult. There can be a confidence that grows that, oh, I'm feeling really sad right now, or I'm feeling upset. Let me be mindful of it. There can be a confidence that this is a way to go deeper and ultimately to be able to uh, gain further resources for being wise and compassionate in response. And so the quality of mindfulness has that uh, non-reactive and non-judgmental quality. It's just the being present, not trying to change. And again, a lot of the learning happens because we see the difference between that non-reactive direct awareness and all the reactions we have. I'm sitting here, my knee hurts, and I'm reactive. I don't want this. Won't the bell ring soon? Donald must be off in his own private consciousness. He's obviously not paying attention to the, to the clock, you know, and so forth. And we can go off like that, and we do. <laughs> and, and, but we get to notice that, and we say, okay, just calm down. He's probably, he usually pays attention to the clock. It's probably going to happen today. You never know. <laughs> and, and then we just say, let me just come back and be with that uh, difficult sensation in my knee just for a little while, or that be with that difficult emotion. And so we, we gain those resources. And we also have that uh, quality of mindfulness, of being, in a way, ideally, we sit down and we uh, drop expectations, other than uh, that I want to intend to be mindful. So many of us, when we meditate, we either subtly or not so subtly want to reproduce some state of mind. You know, I want to get to that relaxed state, or I want to get to that state of really great peace that I had yesterday, or I want to get there, or I I certainly don't want to have this happen. And there is an advantage of having the mindfulness really follow that guideline of uh, no expectations. I know sometimes when I've done practice, both at home and on retreats, I start the meditation by saying, whatever is going to happen is okay. It actually can be a wise way to actually start because it, it orients us to be aware of some of those subtle ways that we try to, even in meditation, try to somewhat uh, subtly at times control or manipulate our experience. And the spirit of mindfulness is really to be direct and let what happens, happens. And there's a, there's a beautiful poem that... Uh, comes from a Rumi that some of you know, which is really about that spirit. It's, it's a poem called The Guest House, which is a wonderful poem. It's about that quality of no expectations, of just being present, and, and over time developing a trust. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. That guest may be clearing you out for some new delight. Mm. (laughs) The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond, says Rumi. A little bit different theology there, but really uh, that, that welcoming of experience. And over time as we do this, there, there grows to be, can be a sense of the mystery of uh, awareness and mindfulness that we can really come to um, know, as is said in many traditions, that there's something quite mysterious and even magical about the quality of being aware. In some traditions, it's that quality of awareness which links us with the divine, which says that there's something about this quality of just being mindful which connects us with peace, and with something quite deep, and that a lot of our practice, as was uh, brought up by the, by the question, what is really a, a matter of getting to know better that quality of mindfulness and deepening and stabilizing it. That's really what our practice is about, because we all know that quality of being present, but what needs, what the reason that we need to practice and give attention and come on Wednesday mornings and so forth is because it takes a fair amount of energy 
to deepen and to stabilize the quality of mindfulness as well as the other qualities. It doesn't just happen by itself for most of us. That's why we're, that's why we're here. The quality of mindfulness brought to the exploration of thoughts and emotions is, uh, provides some of the great fruits of our practice, that being able to be mindful and, and then to be able to act wisely and compassionately with challenging thoughts and emotions, with the kind that were mentioned, with the uh, fear and depression and tendency to a lot of planning and hurt feelings and righteous indignation and resentment and stress and ecstasy, just to add that in. <laughs> That those are all, those, that, uh, to be able to be wise with those is amazing. Because a lot of times those challenging thoughts just rule our lives and we're kind of at the mercy. We're sitting there innocently, you know, and, and something comes along, you know, I'm just sitting there innocently and something comes along. And I, I noticed yesterday I was just sitting doing some emails after coming back from teaching a retreat, which is um, just... Um, it's a challenging experience. We didn't we can add that to the list. But, but, and then someone called, and we were in a discussion. I noticed, and I was, I was a little bit um, just uh, kind of recovering from about eight days of just giving out intense energy, basically. And I was a little bit, I was quite uh, somewhat withdrawn. And I noticed we had a discussion. And within five minutes, I, I noticed my feelings were a little bit hurt. And it just, it just happens like that, doesn't it? and how to, how to act wisely. And it took me a while to act wisely. <laughs> you know, because uh, emails tend to deaden remembrance of Dharma talks. <laughs> uh, so be careful. You know, we need a whole new instructions for email and computers, but that's another talk maybe. And so, um, and so with working with thoughts and emotions, it's challenging. And, and, uh, and yet it's, it's one of the places where we can really see a big uh, impact and result. And the Buddha talked about working with thoughts and emotions through the uh, discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. You may remember there are, we've covered these, I think about a year ago, we went through the four foundations of mindfulness, which are mindfulness of the body, uh, mindfulness of the quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, what's called feeling tone. And then mindfulness of thoughts and emotions, we might say. And the fourth is the mindfulness of the larger patterns of experience. And so being aware of thoughts and emotions has a very major role in this, in this core teaching. And in the text, the Buddha mentions a variety of, um, of states of mind. There actually isn't too much there in the, in the actual text. It's like a paragraph. So uh, a lot of the uh, work comes out of the other thoughts that he has in other discourses, and then just the way that we're able to learn from experience and work with mindfulness and see what helps. But in that text, he talks just about really knowing clearly a variety of states of mind. He talks about a number of states which are uh, beneficial and a number of states which are typically their opposites, which are less so. So he talks about greed, and he talks about, on the other hand, generosity. He talks about uh, hatred, and he talks about uh, loving-kindness. He talks about delusion and talks about wisdom. He talks about a contra contracted state and he talks about a more expanded state. And he talks about a distracted state and a more concentrated state. And the, 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 the first guidance is really to be aware of these. And what I'd like to do is to give, um, really for the rest of the talk, give a very helpful technique for working with thoughts and emotions and then give an example of how to apply that technique in the, uh, in the case of my own experience of, have, of this time of being angry for 10 days in a row. So I am what I am now because of those 10 days of anger. <laughs> so so, so the, the uh, technique is a beautiful one, and it goes by the acronym, which is suitable for the fall and coming into the winter, uh, goes by the acronym of RAIN, R-A-I-N. And that stands for four phases of working with thoughts and emotions. The first is recognition. The second is acceptance. The third is inquiry and investigation. And the fourth is non-identification. 
So I want to go through each of those and then apply it to anger. So the first is the quality of um, recognition. It's uh, this very important quality of just naming something, of knowing that it's there, of naming. Okay, just as we named before everyone, we named uh, some challenging thoughts, patterns, or emotions. And the naming is crucial. It can feel trivial. But in a way, just to name something as happening can break a trance. That's why the labeling is really, really important, just to know, okay, there is, um, I see that there is uh, fear here, or I see that there is sadness. It's, what it does is it, it is a quality of mindfulness that lets us know that it's happening and takes us out of this, almost this, uh, I call it a trance, a, a way of really not being aware. You know, we can, it's the way, on an interpersonal level, it's the way that sometimes in a relationship, just if someone names something going on, I think there may be a power struggle going on. How, just naming it, of course, then it's a matter of what you do with that, but just the naming of it sometimes, it basically brings something to consciousness. It makes it really, really crucial, or to, in a group, to name, um, you know, I think we're all feeling antsy about this. It can be tremendously helpful because it, what it does is it takes things out of the uh, dimension of being automatic and unconscious and, and brings it, as it were, to the table of mindfulness and, and almost implicitly invoking the possibility of wisdom. And so the naming, really crucial. Sometimes when we're actually practicing and states, difficult states are going on, we can name it. You know, I can name, you know, I'm angry. And we, we sometimes expect just the naming it to make it go away. And, and sometimes part of us can feel, oh, I'm using mindfulness. Isn't this supposed to end? Isn't this supposed to change? And it doesn't really work that way. For the more superficial qualities of mind and heart, it does happen like that. I'm sitting, I notice, oh, I'm thinking about lunch. Name it, goes away. But for the more challenging things, they don't necessarily go away. Certainly many of the emotions. But then the naming of it can just really bring, it basically is saying, let's use our resources here. You know, if, if it's strong and if it's, if it's necessary. The second quality is the quality of acceptance. And acceptance there, here, is not acceptance in the sense of um, moral acceptance. This should be here. I feel angry and the content of my anger is about what something sa- someone said. It doesn't mean to accept that what someone said is okay. But what it means is to accept that there really is anger here. There really is anger here. And I may choose on the basis of my wisdom to actually uh, act in response to the situation that brought about the anger. And so the quality of acceptance doesn't at all have to do with being passive. It has to do with noticing in the moment that something is present. In the same way we could say that Martin Luther King accepted deeply that racism was present. He didn't accept it as a moral good. But in a way, paradoxically, we often need that quality of accepting something is actually there in order to change it. There are paradoxes here about how we need to recognize something and and recognize it through the quality of mindfulness with non-reactivity because otherwise we're just fighting it all the time. And so the quality of acceptance is linked to that quality of non-reactivity. Yes, this is here and through the quality of mindfulness then let me let me see it, see what it is. But I'm actually saying yes, this is really here. I'm not trying to run away from it. It's really present and and then from there we can go to the I, which is for inquiry and investigation. It's really the noticing, the exploring. And this is sometimes where it can be quite uh, mysterious, where we can actually explore a given state and um, not necessarily end up where we think we are. It's that quality of looking. It can be to explore in the body, in the mind. And maybe I'll, 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 when I give my example, I'll, I'll give more detail of what that looks like. And then the N for non-identification has to do with essentially 
not taking it real personally that something is there. You know, it means it, mean, it has the quality of, okay, I've noticed that fear is there. I don't have to jump to the story, I'm a really fearful person. There must be something wrong with me. And so the non-identification is particularly linked with that ability to notice the direct experience and be careful about the stories emanating from the experience, to be really noticing those, to be with resentment, let's say, and really just be able to be with it without immediately going into, well, I should be resentful. You know, what that person did is blah, blah, blah. And there may may be quite a bit of truth there, but the practice of mindfulness involves that cultivation of non-identification. Again, we can later respond, but it's really crucial to have the moment just to be there without, as it were, a storyline and without a um, preordained way of responding. And that permits actually novel insight to emerge, which is really crucial. So let me apply this all to anger and to my experience of anger. I'll just mention a little bit of the content of this. Um, This was a retreat that I did about 15 years ago. And I had just come from living for seven years in um, Kentucky and rural Ohio. And I had just come to California to seek my fortune. (laughs) 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 It's true in a way. Um, And I I had been uh, teaching... I had been uh, actually a college and university teacher at the University of Kentucky and at uh, uh, Kenyon College in Ohio. And I had been teaching meditation and had been, in a way, being away from either the East Coast or the West Coast had its liberating qualities because I had originally studied meditation in the Boston area, you know, had been in, on the East Coast. And I would, you know, just to be out in the middle of the country with you know, uh, basically away from the kind of the somewhat, I don't know how to say it without. <laughs> well, you know, okay, maybe <laughs> you know what I mean. So it was, it was refreshing is what I'm saying. It was refreshing to be with ordinary people who had never heard of the Buddha and to have, you know, hang out with a, you know, or quite a, actually quite a wider range of people than I hang out with now. There's actually some benefits. You know, I had rednecks across the street. I used to talk with them. I used to, you know, go to bars sometimes, which I, I don't do here, etc. And, and actually my, my great mission there was to um, work with the University of Kentucky basketball coach and get to teach the University of Kentucky basketball team meditation. Because I figured that if I did that, because they really needed it, because the coach worked with fear and they always were paralyzed and couldn't be in the moment at crucial times in their games. And so I was always thinking that if I would do that, I would, in basketball in Kentucky was like um, really big. You know, the bigger, the biggest things in Kentucky were basketball, um, and Jesus and horses. <laughs> and at times it seemed that basketball was bigger than either of them, Jesus or horses. If, I, if, I, if anyone feels offended, I apologize. But I, there's a, we talked like that there. But, and, and I figured if I, if, I, if I taught the whole, if I taught the coach about meditation and connected with basketball, the whole state would turn to meditation and it would spread to neighboring states and soon it would be this mass movement that would take over the country and unfortunately just as I was getting to know the coach he got fired so it didn't happen but um, I, I, that's an example of a lot of storylines without direct experience but anyway so so I was but anyway the, the what happened there's a bit of a digression there but uh, the reason I was saying that was that I was really kind of a little bit in my own world and, and I came back and I'd really been focusing on making this practice real in daily life, you know, with very ordinary American life. And that was really an important interest. And I came back and I did, ret- and on this particular retreat, it seemed like everyone was being treated as if he or she was a monk or a nun. 
and it wasn't, didn't seem applicable. Things have changed some since then. It didn't seem so applicable to our daily lives. And for whatever reason, I was really angry about that. You know, and I was angry. And it, it wasn't a new insight because I had been on 10 or 15 retreats before that. But for whatever reason, there was anger there. So that was the content, in a way, a little bit irrelevant. But because I was working with Jack Kornfield, and he said, well, you can either leave the retreat or you can, you know, just study your anger. And I said also, well, I'd like to also deal with these issues after the retreat, but <laughs> that was another matter. Uh, and so, so I studied the anger, and it just, it, for whatever reason, it kept on going there. I was angry virtually 18 hours a day for 10 days. And I studied it using mindfulness for all that time, and it was never the same. Anger's never been the same. Doesn't mean I don't get angry, but there's some, some kind of shift happened because basically I studied it and the instructions I were given to really study it, I used a technique that he suggested, which I had known from, uh, came from the Burmese tradition, simple technique of after every sitting and walking, just making a very sh- short note on a piece of paper about what happened, you know, just like a sentence or two. And then what he asked me to do, you know, after a few days, look at all your notes and come together. And it was really fascinating. And he also advised, just stay with it. Notice when it arises. Notice when it changes. And when I would stay with the anger, it didn't always stay angry. Sometimes it changed. Sometimes it led to other emotions. It mostly um, was there most of the time, but it it did change. So let me go through the R-A-I-N, the RAIN, in relation to anger. And then, then we'll open things up to the whole group. So first it was really noticing recognizing, the R being recognizing, noticing that there was anger, not hard, but, <laughs> but using the label so I didn't get into the story of it all the time, really saying anger, noticing that there was anger, really being clear about the recognition dimension of it, really, really uh, staying with it. And that, in daily life, that's sometimes challenging because sometimes we go right to the story. So it's really coming back to the body and the mind, and just noting, yes, there's anger. And it also wasn't that challenging to actually accept, yes, there's really anger here. And after a while, for whatever reason, I didn't particularly think it should go away. And I knew the reasons for it, and I was um, persuaded by Jack that it was actually very interesting to study it and to be with it. And so I, at least my memory now, I kind of gave myself up to the project, of, you know, really, which is what we do in mindfulness, just let whatever's there and just work with it. The really interesting material came on the I part, the inquiry and investigation. And I'll mention a few techniques which I've used which may be helpful for you. Um, You know, the first part of the inquiry investigation is just to know that it's there, to accept it. And then I would actually do a few things. I used that technique for, for this very persistent pattern of taking some notes on it. Not a lot of interpretation, more descriptive. And so that I uh, would come back, uh, and I, then I came back after a few days, and I looked at my notes from whatever, probably 30 or 40 instances of, of uh, what happened, where it went, how it changed, and so forth. And doing that overview was revelatory, because I noticed a lot of things. One of them was that I noticed in the inquiry that anger was not a unified state. There was not one experience of anger that I had. And that was one of the great insights. But rather, there were five or six discrete forms of anger that I noted. And they were, and they were, they were, they were somewhat different. You know, that, that, and, and, I, and they had their different qualities. They had their different qualities in the body and the mind. And it was really interesting just to sit there and just notice, okay, what's happening? What's there right now? And maybe I'll back up a little bit. One of the, other, one of the techniques that's really, really helpful, particularly for emotions, is to do something like what we might call changing the channel. So I'm feeling anger. Okay, let me notice what's it like in the body. Let me really hang out with my body some. Okay, it's kind of fiery. You know, sometimes I notice my hands tensing. The whole show with anger. What's it like in the body and to hang out there? Okay, switch the channel. What's it like in my thoughts? Okay, what are my thoughts doing? Okay, here's what they're doing. They're going into uh, stories, accounts, in which I am the self-righteous good one, and they are bad, <laughs> and et cetera. And I can, I can track the storyline. 
and sometimes their memories come up and so forth. I can switch the channel and I get into almost like the energetic quality of the emotion. What's it like? It's kind of like a fiery energy, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, bubbling or, or sometimes it's just really um, feels tense or whatever, you know. And I can switch the channels and it's actually a wonderful technique to use sometimes in a given sitting that can be very illuminating just to go back and forth between uh, thoughts, emotions, the body, and just to see, okay, what's this like in the, in, in the, the body? Particularly with, with repetitive thoughts, it's extremely helpful to shift to the body and just say, what's this like in my body? Because sometimes there's intelligence that's carried by the body and the emotions that the thoughts are hardly aware of. And so switching the channel in that way it's something we've done in, in past months, techniques that are using that, but it's a very effective way to work with uh, thoughts and emotions, is to go back and forth between those modalities. For one thing, it kind of breaks the, the lock of the thoughts, which sometimes can just be, uh, we can just be on kind of a one track, which is that of the thoughts with some, some of these patterns. And it actually reminds us that we're actually studying it. So I did that, I did that with the anger. It was very, very interesting. Uh, to know to know that it that it's that it's hot or it sometimes has these qualities, and then I would notice also that there were different patterns of anger. Sometimes my anger was this basically self-centered, reactive, petty anger where I didn't get my way. It was kind of like that quality of energy. <laughs> it's interesting. We can we don't have a word for that, but. Probably that communicates something, right? <laughs> Maybe we should have a, develop a word, though. I don't know what it would be. But there was, so sometimes it was petty. Sometimes if I stayed with the anger, it would change. I would stay with the anger, and it would sometimes, sometimes it would be um, turned to a kind of sadness. It would open up to other emotions because basically, per- persistent patterns typically can open up to complexes of our own both personal and universal nature. For me, and that's why it's really helpful to know that when we're with a particularly challenging pattern, like the ones that were mentioned, it will tend to open up to other emotions and other patterns. Could be memories, could be certain other experiences. And so for me, it would open up sometimes, the anger would open up to sadness. Um, you know, sometimes people say that anger is a reflection of some kind of sense of being hurt. You know, some, some psychologists talk like that. And I think that's often the case. And so I would sometimes feel sadness, and it, sometimes it would have words that would come with it, like, um, you know, I'm sad because my voice isn't being heard, or I, I, I don't feel like my voice can be heard. And, and then that would, you know, that, that could kind of have a ricochet into other you know, more personal or psychological patterns, you know, where that, that's the case. And sometimes this, I would stay with that and there'd be another kind of sadness that, oh, I want this community really to be effective in daily life, you know, and I, I'm sad that it's not that way. Or, or, and sometimes when I stayed with the sadness, it would actually lead to love. It would actually lead to an experience of love. And some of our deeper emotions, when we stay with them long enough and go deep enough, it actually opens up to love. I have found that with a lot of emotions, that if we stay with them, and in this case, it happens sometimes. I would connect with, oh, I really care about this community. I really want it to be whole and healthy. And that was, that was connected with the anger. It was really helpful for me to know that these other emotions were connected with my anger. Very, very helpful. So, so sometimes I would just be there and I would, be, I would go into sadness or grief and sometimes it would go into other emotions. Sometimes I would find myself in the role of uh, an Old Testament prophet giving out uh, righteous cosmic wrath. <laughs> it would be like, and it would almost be like a different voice. You can do what you want but someday cosmic justice will get you. <laughs> and that was part of the anger also. It was one of the voices. It was Donald as Old Testament prophet. <laughs> you know, or whatever. And that was interesting to see. <laughs> you know? 
And, uh, and so you get a sense that the inquiry could really uh, open up a lot of things. It was really, and it all comes from just staying with the anger and not wanting to make it go a certain way and just seeing where it opens up to. I, I, of course, I had the privilege of being on a retreat, but I think we can do this kind of inquiry in daily life as well. It really just takes that mindfulness and for some persistent pattern, it just takes those times of staying with it and it tends to, to open up. Next week, I particularly want to focus not so much on the mindfulness, or in a, maybe in addition to the mindfulness. To this week, I'm mostly focusing on the mindfulness, which means how to, how to just be present to it. And I think there's a separate issue of how to respond skillfully, sometimes in ways that go beyond simply being mindful. And that's an important theme which I want to bring up next week. This week, it's just to really heighten the awareness of the tool of mindfulness. So it would be that quality of... Um, really uh, inquiring. And then the last, the N aspect, the non-identification, would be almost to see the anger almost as this natural phenomena just occurring, uh, as it were, before my eyes or before my, before my awareness. And not take it so personally. Be, again, being careful about stories about you're really an angry person or all these years of being a nice person has just left all this suppressed anger, Donald. <laughs> or something like that, you know, or just having this, having this story. And it was really more, I'm just, I'm actually more like a scientist. I'm just studying this phenomena, which is coming right before me. And it's that quality of non-identification of seeing, oh, this is where this goes. Oh, interesting. That opens up, the anger opens up to sadness, which sometimes opens up to love. Oh, let me just watch that. Let me just study it. So not taking it personally, letting it happen. Um, sometimes having a certain insights about, oh, Here's where it begins. Here's where it ends. Here's what it transforms into. Here, here are the set of conditions that lead it to arise. Here are the conditions that lead it to change and so forth. So it's having, almost like having this sense of what um, Stephen Levine says is a move from my anger, in this case, to the anger, to anger as a universal human quality and just getting to study some of, the, some of its nature. And which is, again, very freeing because we, we all have this um, concern. Oh, my gosh, I'm angry for 10 days. This may say something about me. Maybe I shouldn't bring my face into polite company anymore. You know, or, or I probably would say with a little different tone of voice. But, but, um, but just having that sense of observing the flow. And so um, I think I'll, I can end with that. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll end with this... Um, quotation from Achan Cha that I like so much. This is uh, from the question of, uh, that Jack Kornfield asked of him about, um, uh, do I need in order to be mindful and develop to really sit for long periods of time? And Achan Cha, this kind of rascally Thai teacher said, no, sitting for hours on end is not necessary. In other words, we can do this kind of inquiry kind of exploration. I think in daily life, we just need the quality of attention. Some people think that the longer you can sit, the wiser you must be. I have seen chickens sit on their nests for days, <laughs> days on end. <laughs> Wisdom comes from being mindful in all postures. Your practice should begin as soon as you awaken in the morning and should continue until you fall asleep. Don't be concerned about how long you can sit. What's important is only that you keep watchful whether you're walking or sitting or going to, to the bathroom. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness, he says, of the Buddha, or we can say the happiness of awakening. So thank you very much. So any any questions or reflections about uh, working, practicing with thoughts and emotions, or something that may have a you know of, I mean we've all most of us have already uh, have worked with this a lot. So please, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. I, I observed it, but I just wondered. Yeah. How much stronger are you really forgiving? <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that, yeah, the, everyone here, the question is about uh, sometimes when I, what, my mind gets more quiet and my body gets more calm, sometimes when I go into a situation, I notice that I have very strong reactions. Yeah. And... It's interesting. It's um, it probably probably works in a few different ways, you know. I think, and it probably depends on the you know the the, the trigger, as it were, you know. But but sometimes we're actually um, when we're quite when we're more open, we're actually more sensitive to a particular stimulus, and it can actually uh, go more deeply in a way. There's something about our daily life which um, sometimes things get covered over, and we actually don't feel so directly what's there. And so I notice, uh, you know, you may notice after you sit, particularly something that uh, feels, uh, well, I think, I think after we're mindful, I think both the, the, the beautiful aspects are often more beautiful and the, the difficult aspects feel more painful. That's certainly my experience and probably many of yours. So this practice doesn't dampen down the negative emotions. I think it can open us up to be more sensitive. Hopefully it also opens us up to be more aware and more skillful and sometimes uh, and often less reactive. Yeah. But if I think in terms of, I mean, it sounds like you're mostly raising a question about sensitivity. Is that, is that fair? But yeah. Yeah. We're, So it's after doing yoga? Meditation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sensitivity is there. Yeah. I think personally, I mean, I imagine that, uh, I think I notice both sides. Sometimes when I'm more mindful, I actually start to notice a reaction happening and I don't go there so easily. But I also sometimes notice that um, I might get startled and just taken somewhere more quickly as well. And I think both are the case and it sounds like you're describing the latter. Because I'm sure sometimes you meditate and you're actually more sensitive and something that would normally lead to reactions doesn't, go there, doesn't have you go there. So does that sound like both are present? Yeah. yeah. So you're saying more of the time you're actually non-reactive? Yeah, but, but, but sometimes I think there's, maybe that's to do with that quality of openness, because sometimes things just go right in and they trigger something, and we, we're often not so protective. We don't have those protective layers, so that's at least some initial thoughts, but it's, it's not a problem. Because <laughs> once, you, once you notice you're reactive, you know what to do, right? It can take a while. But once you notice that I'm reactive, then you can call upon the resources of your practice. Right? But what, what I hear you saying is that sometimes you just get, for, you're forgetful for a little while. And so that's why, that's why the labeling is just so helpful, because it kind of, like I say, it breaks us out of a trance in a way. Not easy to do, particularly when reactive. And then, you know, and dishes are the hardest. <laughs> so please, Christine. Yeah. Um, just to comment on, on that point, I've had similar experiences, and I am like the two sides of it. And I found usually when I have the sort of the negative response to something that's come up, where I've had maybe a really lovely sit or mm-hmm. I've been absorbed, is where I realize I've actually become attached to the 
thankful at least that oh. it was there. And now I'm upset that somebody's <laughs> done something to take it away. And if I've just been with it and haven't gone into a oh. place of attachment, then I can... That's a good point. Out. Yeah. That's a very interesting one that sometimes... Yeah, because that, that's the subtle ways that when we sit and it feels so nice, we just... There's these subtle attachments which say, basically say, I really want this to continue, and anyone who gets anywhere near <laughs> disrupting this is going to get, going to get it, <laughs> which is a little bit, uh, yeah, so, so, so really, you're really pointing to the, those subtle attachments to being mindful, right, which are, we don't always talk about that so much, but it's, uh, uh, it happens, because basically we get attached to everything, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, a good, it's a good point. Then there can, be, there can be some of that. And it's something to look at. It's really, see, again, doesn't it help just to have the naming of that? It just, it just next time, you know, next time we, something happens right after we've been really peaceful, and we can ask ourselves both right after we finish, am I getting, you know, am I attached to this? And it's not, you know, it's not a problem if we are, but it can help us be just uh, more wise about it. So, great point, Chen. Yeah. Like a good example. And like I'll be really feeling it. I'll have my arsenal of arguments that I'm using. I'm really well rehearsed. I can be mindful. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know it's not skillful. <laughs> there's, just, there's this like tsunami of energy. And yeah. like, how how do you get out of that? How do you yeah. beyond just the naming it, mm-hmm. it can be easy <clears throat> into the um, I call it the luge. You know, you've gotten in the luge and it's going like <laughs> Miles an hour, and how you stop it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It will be more the focus next week because because this week is primarily uh, being mindful. Um, with something like anger, it's often helpful, like you were saying, to basically to stop it. That when it's going 200 miles an hour, uh, it often is going to have negative consequences, and so it may be actually quite skillful. Just to uh, just to take you know a time out basically, that that's often the, w- the hearing of your description that c- it could be very very skillful just to know, and again I think it comes from mindfulness and studying oneself to know that when I'm in this state, uh, can I be skillful? Generally speaking, if we can't be balanced and skillful in a given state, and we have a choice to stop and come back another time and deal with the situation, it's almost always better to do that. Yeah, if we, if, we, if we can't be skillful. And we don't feel balanced. Uh, and so it's mindfulness to know that I don't feel balanced. You know, or to know that it's taking me away at 200 miles an hour. That would be mindfulness. And then the wisdom part, which we'll focus on more next time, would, would, say, would really ask, um, is something good going to come out of this? And it's very hard in the moment because all that self-righteous energy gets mobilized, right? And, and so forth. And so... Um, I think particularly with anger, that is often very, very helpful. Not always possible, but most often it is possible. Please, uh, Nancy. I, I guess it's actually acceptance would help me sometimes, like in the way you got to notice it, and just to think of that part as a force. Mm-hmm. Like, of course there's a lot of energy, and there's mm-hmm. a force, and I'm about to fling it into something. Yeah. 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 Like scold myself. Yeah. But to just say like, of course, this is here. That's that's great, and you know, I think what we might uh, explore next time is we probably here have like fifty different tips <laughs> on the, each of them with a lot of experience uh, on how to work skillfully, and I'll try to find a way to to share that next time. Because I think it, it, it is those sort of tips. And, and again, there's something about uh, what breaks the, the trance. Because even that 200 mile in energy, in a way, is a kind of a trance. There's not much uh, knowledge about it or space. And so what can help that? It might be actually to say, I'm angry. Something just simple like that can often, it just can change things. Just to actually 
say I'm really angry rather than when we do that, we, we get some, a little bit of space around it or to say, of course, I'm angry. Where these are all mechanisms for getting some space and some awareness so that kind of calls upon our wisdom and compassion to come into play. Otherwise, that gets covered over somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, please, Bob. Um, I wanted to um, share an experience and hear your comments. Something that you did kind of touch upon. Yeah. That, you know, a lot, a lot of times I actually have trouble naming. Yeah. I hear that a lot. You know, not sure if I can name your thought. Yeah. I feel like in this meditation, for example, there was, there was, what do I call that? I get that a lot. You know, yeah. The story, analyzing, planning. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's what I kind of ended up calling something. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's an like, <laughs> important technical term. <laughs> <laughs> like this thing that felt the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Intellectually get into this thing. So it's, it's more, with, uh, more with the thoughts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the emotions are pretty clear. Uh, more with the thoughts. More with the thoughts. So, yeah, I think just to... Um, if it's a persistent pattern, you can just give it its own name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and generally, generally speaking, can uh, yeah. So if it's a persistent topic, you know, like discussion with X, you can just you know you can just call it you know call it uh, you know talking with John, let's say, just call it John, or call it Susan, or or something like that. That that's fairly neutral tone to it. Or just to call it thinking. But it, it helps if you can have some precision because, again, if you can say, you know, if it might be planning or it might be um, um, it might just be a persistent thought pattern, a kind of conversation. And just to give it any name is really, see, the key, the, there are a few keys. One of the key, probably the main key is just to actually notice it. And the label is much, much less important than the actual noticing and the study. Label's secondary, but the label's a tool that kind of gets our attention. And so um, I think whatever you, you know, but there's, if you find yourself actually thinking, what is this too much, then just keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You really have a simple label. Like a file name. What? Like a file name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just like that. Just like, uh, because it's pretty much like that. It's a, it's a pattern that's coming up again, and you can call it by a particular name. Um, good. So we're, we're, at, we're actually at time now. So what I'd like to invite us to do, many of us will have some thoughts and emotions in the next week. <laughs> For those who, who will... Uh, now I'd like to invite that practice, if, if, you feel, if you feel called, to actually give some focus. And you might actually use that uh, practice of RAIN, recognition, acceptance, inquiry, and non-identification. And um, it'd be great if, if some or most of us would be interested in giving that special focus. You may need to do what you need to do to remember that. It might be to write it down and remember it at the beginning of the day that today is a special focus on working with thoughts and emotions. For most of us, if we just say, yeah, I'll do it, it may not be remembered two hours from now. So do what you need to do. Maybe I'll... How many people would be interested to give a little more focus on thoughts and emotions in the next week? And then it would be great. And then we could come back. So let's just, let's just sit for a while for a minute or so to close. And I'll invite each of us to reflect on what may have been uh, most helpful from the morning. And then on any um, ways that you can make this focus uh, work in your everyday life. Again, it might be to set an intention in the morning. It might be to have a piece of paper that's in a prominent place so you remember. So both the the helpful insights or learnings on your own or from the talk or discussion, and then ways to, ways to uh, make this uh, exploration real for yourself.
So knowing that we practice not just for ourselves but for others, we dedicate the fruits, what's been helpful and valuable from this morning, out beyond the boundaries of this hall, out to others for their benefit, for their freedom, for the healing of all beings. Thank you, and happy Halloween. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.